course, it's Memorial Day Sunday, and so we're going to talk about remembering and memory and what you remember matters, what I remember matters. It matters how and what we remember, what we focus on. Uh, this past year, I just read a book in the last few months called The Power of Habit. Let me tell you, if I, I, would, I would read this book if I was you, even if you just read the first half, the, the Power of Habit. How much of what we do, do we do just simply out of habit? And, and so since what we do is mostly out of habit, uh, then, then, then isn't it important to kind of consider what your habits are? <laughs> and so I read this book called The Power of Habit, and just a, a, a great, insightful book on, on habit in our life and how ingrained it is. And, and, and he talks about in the book about things that we remember. And, and isn't it weird the things that you remember? You know, you know I, I can't remember half you folks' names when I'm looking at you, but I can, you know, I can remember stuff when I'm three. Anybody else like that? You know, you know it, 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 we, we remember kind of different things and the power of memory in our life and, and how that memory can affect us and, and affect our behavior and, and how we view ourselves. Uh, I, I can remember stuff when I'm really young. Uh, Red and Kay Williams lived next door to, to, to my mom and dad. Actually, mom, mom and dad bought the house they lived in, and, and they moved just next to us in a trailer. And so Red and Kay, we call her Grandma Kay, uh, they, they lived next door to us. And, and I've talked about them often. Uh, Red died in June of 1966. And I was born in January of 1963, which means that I was less than three and a half years old when Red died. And yet I have real vivid memories of Red. I can vividly remember mom and dad having me carry tools down. To, to Red, he had a little he had a little trailer that he would sharpen tools in, and I, and I can I can vividly in in my mind recall walking down from Mom and Dad's house to this trailer for Red to sharpen these tools, and and, and so how how little did I have to be to remember that? I can I can also feel my parents' eyes on me as I'm doing it, and, and I remember. In my mind, I'm thinking, man, this is a long adventure. You know, I felt kind of like the hobbit on my adventure. Uh, but, but when I drive by these houses now, I realize it was probably from here to that back wall that I went. But it seemed like a long distance. But, but I have vivid memories of Red Williams. I can remember a shirt I had. And, and this shirt looked like a tuck. It was a cool shirt. It was a tuxedo shirt. And I came in one day and it had a hole in it and Red stuck his finger and said, let me take care of that shirt for you and ripped it right off me. But I have vivid memories of Red. You know, why is that so vivid in my mind? Why, why can I remember him? Because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like it had that much of an impact. But, but our memories can be really vivid. And the question is, these memories... Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. Some of them are painful. Some of them are not helpful in our lives. See, our memories shape our self-identity. And as we go through life, the things that we remember, the things that we focus on will have an effect on how you perceive yourself and how you perceive God. Last night we were walking 
Kobe through, through the neighborhood again. And um, I, I'm starting to think this dog may have the heart of an evangelist. Because uh, we're, we're walking down the street and we saw some neighbors that, that we, really, we really hadn't introduced ourselves to. You know, we always greet each other, but I don't know their names yet. And they're standing there and I'm going by and Terry and I are going by and that dog laid down right in the middle of the street until they came over. I think this dog may be like Balaam's donkey. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's, it's just going to keep me to the task. And, and it reminds me, how are you doing? How are you doing in getting to know your neighbors? Are you still intentionally cultivating relationships? Kobe laying down gave us an opportunity to say, hi, my name's... And so we introduced ourselves and had a conversation, and Kobe would not get up because God wanted us to talk more, I guess. And, and, and the lady that lives two doors down, three doors down, two doors down, started talking about her dog, which barks like crazy, and she said, yeah, she's a rescue. Um, she was in a very traumatic situation. And here it is, the dog's 13 years old, it's been 11 years, and still the trauma of that past experience still affects that dog. Folks, if, if dogs can be affected by past trauma, can we be honest enough to say that we can still be affected by past trauma? So some of you, even as I've begun to talk about that, are thinking about in your memory some trauma from years ago. And, and, and it still affects you. And this past dysfunction still haunts you. And even as I say this, there could be bad memories. But, but yet God asks us to remember, but to remember in a different way. God wants our memories to be connected with uh, guided by, filled with his goodness, his salvation, his rescue. When, when, when we remember these events of our life, God wants us to understand that he is at work in all circumstances. Now, 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 can I clarify something? And it's an interesting thing. As I prepared this sermon, God does not cause all things. He doesn't. If God causes all things, then James, when James says God cannot sin and God is causing sin, that makes James a liar. See, see, see we live in a sin-filled world and because we live in a sin-filled world, sometimes we are affected by, you can't call it anything else but vile sin. And I don't believe that God causes that. I don't believe God causes all death and all sickness. But, but we live in a fallen world. And because we live in a fallen world, sin, death, sickness, illness, hurt, shame, pain, all happens. But here's the good news. Our God is good enough. Our God is big enough that whatever you've experienced in your life, our God can take that and shape that for your good and His glory. Amen. That's good news. Well, whatever you've went through in your life, and as I look around this room, some of us have went through, in my life, I've had some really ugly things in my life. 
some of them has been this dingbat's fault, right? That's a Greek theological word. Since Jeremiah was giving you all Greek, I'll, I'll give you the Greek I know, dingbat. Some of the stupid things have been my fault. And some of it's been other people's fault. But, but my God can weave that into a masterpiece for good for me and glory for him. But God asks us to remember. He, over and over, he, he asked his people to remember. And here, there, this scripture, I could have found a dozen scriptures more in, in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, where, where God says, remember. But, but this is in Joshua 4, 1 through 7, that, that the people of Israel have been slaves and Moses comes and liberates them, and he takes them to the border of the promised land, and they rebel against God. And so God goes, well, you get to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and in the midst of it, I'll feed you. <laughs> God's still good, even in his punishment. He's saying, you wander for 40 years, and I'll feed you, I'll give you manna, I'll take care of you. And, and, and then when Moses dies, God gives Joshua the opportunity to lead his people into the promised land. And so they, they, they cross uh, the, the Jordan River, and, and just like when they cross the Red Sea, the, the sea parts, and they go across on dry ground. And after they get done, uh, in Joshua 4, it reads, Now when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm, and carry them over with you, and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight." So Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, "Cross again to the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of uh, cross again to the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. Let this be a sign among you, so that when your children ask later, saying, What do these stones mean to you?'" Then you shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. See, see God had brought Israel into the promised land. And they needed to remember that, that it was God who delivered them. It was God who saved them. It was God who gave them the land. They didn't earn it. They didn't deserve it. It wasn't based on their own power or their own competence. But God had provided them a place. And every time they would see those stones, they would remember that God was the one that parted the Red Sea. And God was the one that parted the Jordan, and they walked across on dry ground. Now, now this isn't the only time God asked them to remember. You know, remembering was built into the rhythms of their life. Their, their seasons contained festivals and feasts. When in these festivals and feasts, they were called to remember. 
So so you had Passover. And of course, Passover was this feast that symbolizes their deliverance from from Egypt. And in this, they were reminded that that God had set them free, that God had protected them from death, that, that, that God had brought them from slavery into freedom. Yeah, you had the Feast of Pentecost, and, and this is 50 days after Passover, and, and it symbolizes the giving of the law. You know, in two weeks, we're going to have Pentecost Sunday, and it's the giving of the law in our hearts. <laughs> See, these feasts still matter to God. I mean, he, he had an understanding of what he was trying to do, and in that feast, he gave them the law and wrote it on their heart. In, in their Pentecost, they were celebrating that God would give them a way of life, the identity. So their seasons had feasts. They, they had a weekly Sabbath. Yet you have two, situ, two um, passages that deals with the Sabbath. And, and, and the first it says, remember that God created and on the seventh day he rested. And the other time the Ten Commandments are given, it says, remember to keep the Sabbath because God has delivered you. <laughs> And so in the Sabbath, one of the things they were focusing on was that they served the God of creation, the God that creates, and the God that saves. And so into the routines of their life were built these rhythms of remembering. Their memories were intended to shape them into the people of God, to shape their identity. See, see, our memories can shape us into our God-desired identity. God has a purpose. God has a plan. God has a will. God has a way of seeing you that is beyond the way you see yourself. God has a way of seeing you beyond what your, your friends and your family see or say. You know, I, I tend to believe that Even as great as a mom might see you, God sees you even in a more dynamic way. God sees you and he loves you despite your failures, despite your sins, despite the the times that you've messed up, despite what anyone else says about you. God sees you and loves you and has a plan for you. Sometimes in our memories... It's easy to see positive, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I can, I can in my in my memory, I can I can see Grandma Moore, my mom's mom. That makes sense since my last name's not. I didn't have to go that far, did I? <laughs> Greek again, dingbat. Okay, there you go. Uh, I, I can still know or see or talk to my grandma and realize that when she would wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning she wouldn't turn the TV on mainly because she didn't have a TV and begin to pray and begin to pray by name you know and when she's praying her family prayer list it's as big as this room because of kids and grandkids and in-laws and great-grandkids. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. She had 10 kids. And all those kids were productive. Not green productive. You know, 
but productive. You know, five, six kids. And all those kids had kids. And Grandma Moore would get up, and in my memory, I, I realized that my life has been shaped by her prayers. And I realized that there's been times in my life when I believe I have been protected by God because someone was calling out my name in prayer. I have memories like that, but, but some of my memories aren't that fun and not that good. Some of my memories are hard and hurtful. All of us have a mixture of memories, and I call it our good, bad, and ugly memories. And as we prepared, as I talked about this message, and I, I talked with, with staff, and we talked about the reality of this, it made me realize that, that and they were good at making me realize, that, that, that we can gloss over these bad memories like they don't exist. Somebody in this room... <laughs> Maybe many has faced abuse. You've been wrongly treated. You've been lied about. You've been hurt. And those memories are there as well. So, 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 so what do we do? Do we, we just say, okay, I'm going to forget the bad things in my life? Or, or do somehow we, like adults, <laughs> clearly address all that we remember and try to remember it in a way that directs us in the right way. What do we do with memory? Here's the first question. Is this memory making me better or bitter? <laughs> Is there a perspective that will allow me to draw closer even with a bad memory? Is there a way that despite this memory, I can have joy even though it's not a memory that fills me with joy? The, the truth is, this is hard work, right? I mean, to, to, to truly and fully look back at your life and your memories and say, I am going to perceive this in a different way, it, it's something we can't just do with the self-help book. It's something we can only do with the help of the Holy Spirit. I, I believe that, that, that we even need others to step into our lives with some of these memories so that we can have conversations and prayer around God's Word and allow His, His Spirit to begin to shape those memories to something better. Is my memory accurate? Uh, several years ago, uh, Jim and Ines were getting ready to ride with us. Um, to, I, I don't even remember where we were going, but my father-in-law, uh, he was healthier then, and he, he got the wise idea that he was going to hit his garage door button and then run under it to the van. And it didn't have one of those scanners at the bottom. And, and so I turned just in time to see Jim's head down charging the van. I mean, it, it was, you know, I look, I, here he comes. 
and he hit the side of the van, and boom, Amy, you know, we did the shake, and, you know, after we made sure he was all right, we all had a good laugh about it, and, you know, we've told the story, you know, a bunch of times, just one of those family stories, who's got those family stories, you just tell them over and over, and you all laugh, and so we tell the story, and we laugh, you know, the, the funny thing is, now when we were with the family, my, my brother-in-law, Roger, will say, remember when we were in the van, and dad ran into the side of it, he wasn't there. <laughs> See, that's the funny thing about memories. Memories can be wrong. And so I think it's important to realize, and our memories can be skewed. I think it's important that as we look back at circumstances that, that we try to gain a better insight both to... Because most of the time these bad memories, somebody's hurt us, right? Maybe a perspective or a misunderstanding that, that maybe something else was going on other than what we perceived. And finally, how can I draw closer to God despite this painful memory? I don't think there's a better story in the Bible to understand this other than the story of Joseph. Um, talk about bad memories. I'm just curious. Anybody ever have your brothers throw you in a pit and sell you into slavery? Uh, any, any, anybody? You know, Joseph was betrayed in this awful way by his brothers. As a matter of fact, they were talking about not just selling him into slavery. They wanted to kill him. So, so they grabbed this kid when he comes to the field. And, and, you know, he had his own little issues, but not worthy of death. And they grab him and want to kill him. But their better alternative is to sell him into slavery and send him to Egypt. He has all sorts of things happening. Like he's serving in Potiphar's wife, uh, house, and, and, and Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him, and he runs out of the, the room, and she acts like he's done something. And so he is, he is done wrong by Potiphar, and he's thrown into jail, and, and then in jail, he, he, he's forgotten. You know, the story ends up good, but the, the, the strange thing about Joseph, in the midst of all of this, I never see Joseph demonstrating either, anything other than faithfulness. It's almost as if Joseph has this inner compass. And you can read through the story. I've looked through the story many, many times. And there never seems to be a time in the story where Joseph doesn't just say, I'm just going to do the right thing. Brothers mistreated me. Just do the right thing. Potiphar mistreated me. I'm just going to do the right thing. That it's almost he had this inner compass realizing that through it all, God was trying to do something more. Amen. So Jacob dies and, and, and Joseph's brothers are like, uh-oh, <laughs> now that dad's dead, we're dead. Uh, you know, this guy's like second in charge of, of Egypt and he's going to have us killed and and so Joseph hears about it. He says, do not be afraid, for I'm in God's place. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. See, so here's the perspective. 
regardless of what others' intention might be, God's desire for you is good. And the truth, there's people that intend to hurt. But even in the midst of their conduct, our God's intent for you is good and love and peace and grace. Some of you are dealing with some deep, real hurts. And to say to remember it different is a lot easier said than done. Can, can I give you a suggestion? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is radical and hard, but it is the biblical response to awful, traumatic memories. It's somehow, and I got to tell you, I don't know if I fully understand this, but Jesus says, forgive or you can't be forgiven or you won't be forgiven. And I'm not exactly sure what's going on there other than to say, if we cannot forgive, how can we ever accept the forgiveness of God? And so practically, and forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness is not saying this is right. As a matter of fact, forgiveness may be saying that wasn't right, but I'm letting go of my right to judge. Ultimately, and I think this is the key, forgiveness is less about you and the other person or about the circumstance, but forgiveness is about your relationship with God. And in forgiveness, we say, God It's yours. And in doing so, we give God ourselves. This morning we're going to close with the memorial feast of communion. (laughs) You know, there's so much in communion. There's a looking back in communion. We we look back and we remember what Jesus did on the cross. But but communion also is a looking forward. It's it's an in-days feast. It's a recognition that at some point we're going to dine with Jesus face to face. And it's a recognition that there's a coming day of celebration. That when the church takes this feast, it's in part to remind ourselves that this is not the end. Those of you who've lost loved ones, this is not the end. (laughs) There is coming a day when those that you have lost will be found in Christ and you'll celebrate once again with them. And and until then, we'll we'll take this, this sacrament and we'll be reminded. We'll be reminded that God can be trusted. It reminds us that we all have a place at God's table. And as I talk about memory and talk about what people have said and people have heard us, I think that's an important reminder to remind us ourselves that, that, that you are significant enough to sit at God's table. That, that we receive these elements and, and God sits at the head of the table and we are brothers and sisters with Jesus Christ. It reminds us of the price that Jesus paid. You know, Memorial Day is about those who've paid the ultimate sacrifice to give us freedom, those who've served. And it's fitting to remember that Jesus died to give us freedom. It's an invitation to a radical new relationship. I tell you, I really appreciated revival with Jeremiah. I hope you did. And I enjoyed spending time with him. I I tried to grow my beard out for today, but it just, just wouldn't work. You know, 
and I want you to know, we, we sent out an email. My office door is always open. If God has spoken to you through revival, I want to meet with you. I want to talk with you. See, the problem, and I was thinking about this as I prepared for this sermon, the problem in our world today is this, that typically we have one evangelistic, one service like this, and we don't have multiple ones through the week for a lot of reasons. Maybe, maybe we should go back to multiple services. But, but the pollution of this world is so great that oftentimes we come in and we have this hour, this, this revival week, and we have this emotional moment, and then we go out in the world that is polluted and corrupt, and we expect that 30 minutes, that hour service, to be enough to help us mature and grow. And so I want to invite you to a conversation. What else can we do to capitalize on what God has spoken into your life through revival? So, so I'm available almost any Sunday school time. I, I would say if you want to do it, they'll let me know so nobody else comes in. But, but, but I would be available to sit down and talk to you about what God's trying to do in your life. I want to talk to you. Am, am, I, am I clear enough? I've had very few people take me up on that. And, and I swear, I'll chew gum, I'll, I'll take some mints, uh, I'll let you drink coffee in there. No judgment. Folks, we're, we're on a journey together. And I, you know, we, we need to have conversations about this. And so I'm always available. If not, then we'll find another time that we can have a conversation about what God spoke to you through revival or through any other service or any other thing we're doing so that we can help go in the same direction. But he talks about, he talked about revival about going through the motions. At least that's one of the things I understood, that, that, that it's possible just to go through the motions of religiosity and not have relationship with God. And when we receive communion, we remember that that's not enough for God. You know, communion tells us that it's not enough for God for us just to go through the motions, but Jesus is willing to give his body and his blood just so we can enter into this new relationship with God. As a matter of fact, in one point, portion of Scripture, I believe it's in Hebrews, it says that, that we have the right to enter through the veil, his body, into the very holy of holies. Reminds us that God wants more than just ritual. Maybe, maybe you're thinking, oh, it's not for me. Maybe relationship with God's something that you've, you've just felt like, I'm not worthy. You know, maybe it's a memory. And maybe it's what someone said. M maybe it's, <laughs> and I wish this wasn't the case, but for many people, uh, they aren't Christians because of their interaction with who claims to be Christians. And maybe there's been someone in your life that has said they were a Christian and their actions have let you down and it's made you reluctant to take that step. It's possible that you're in here today and you've just, well, I'll, I'll go to make such and such happy, but, but I'm never going to make that commitment. Maybe something else is holding you back. <laughs> Can I tell you, 
And, and, and if this is true in your life, say amen. I've never given anything to God that he's not given tenfold or a hundredfold more back in return. Is that true? There, there's nothing I've ever given up to find relationship and live in relationship with God where he has not been gracious and kind and generous beyond what I gave. So maybe today's the day. Maybe as we, re, re, as we receive communion in just a couple minutes, maybe, maybe today's the day you just say, God, here I am. I want to belong to you. I've heard all this talk about relationship these past few weeks, and I feel dry, and I don't feel like that's going on in my life. And today, Lord, I, I want you to do something fresh and new within me. See, communion reminds us that Jesus died so that we can be reconciled with God.